All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Firstly, we'd like to thank everyone for listening and supporting the site. We very much appreciate it. And then we'd like to quickly give a shout out to the sponsors in Monster Energy, Fox Racing, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes for all their incredible support keeping this running as without them, none of this would be possible. So for this episode, we have a very special guest who's well known to fans all over the world, in Europe, and very much to the MX Vice audience, Adam Sterry, who's currently riding for KTM Sarholz. So welcome, mate. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem, mate. Nice pleasure for me to uh, be back on uh, on the podcast. And yeah, hopefully uh, we can speak about a few things today and see how everyone's getting on different. Yeah, mate, cheers for taking the time. And obviously, firstly, you had the um, ADAC MX Masters opener on the weekend, mate. You got third overall, pretty pretty solid day. Um, probably could have been even better for you, but that's you got to be happy with that to start the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, for me, the goal to go in there was to, obviously, this year for fighting for the title. So um, to not make any silly mistakes at the first round or throw a lot of points away um, would have been ideal. So if you said to me before the weekend, okay, um, you're going to get on the podium. I would have took that. So, started off a bit rough with uh, with a crash in the first motor. I had to come from behind, but um, ended up getting back to sixth. So that, that was all right. And uh, second motor, we had a bit of a a dispute. I don't know yeah. if you heard about it. Yeah, I heard about. It. I heard your podium speech. Uh, you haven't mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I'll quickly go through the situation. It was the last lap and Tom Cock, I was in second and Tom Cock was in third. And um, yeah, he was right right on me. So we were sending it on the last lap and we come out of the, the, there's a left at the end of the start straight and then there's three jumps in a row. But there was waved yellows on the second jump. But the jumps at the track at the weekend, you had to send to flat pretty much. And because it was the last lap, we ended up jumping even further. But there was not there's not so much space in between the jumps. So you couldn't see the waved yellows because it was blind. And how it works normally in the GPs is you have a stationary yellow on the jump before or the corner before. And then you know that something's coming up. But due to like two less flaggers or can't get enough flaggers, they don't have that situation in the ADAC. Um so it was just waved yellows on the jump that the guy crashed, but it was blind. So we sent it over and yeah, there's not enough time to slam on the brakes and roll the jump. It was just, it's physically impossible. So um, I ended up jumping a little bit. I reduced speed and Tom also jumped, who was behind me. And uh, yeah, they wanted to give me the penalty and not him. But um, yeah, I went there and explained my point of view. And, uh, and luckily, they overturned the the rule just just as I was prepping my gate for the third race, actually, because they wanted to give me ten place penalty, which is Oof. of course a lot of points for the championship, and uh, yeah, quite a lot of money also. So, um, yeah, I think for the championship and the the right decision was made in the end. Yeah, and you were pretty happy with your riding, mate. Obviously, that track it looked like it had a bit of a sort of soft base and a little bit of hard, I mean, a soft top and a bit of a hard base underneath. What were how did you find riding and what was your takeaways from it? Yeah, it's a little bit, if I could describe it for things, people, it's a little bit like Hawkstone. Mm. Um, if you're there for the international, it's a little bit harder, harder base sand. Um, 
but yeah, starts starts are important always. I had three good starts, um, and then like any national championship, you know, there's always tough riders that know the track, or especially the German riders in in the Adak series, they're all very fast on uh, on them types of tracks. So overall, I was happy with my riding. I felt good. Um, we made a bike setting change Saturday night, and that uh, made a big improvement for Sunday. So. Just keep going in the right direction and uh, keep building on it and need to close the gap to Nagel because he's uh yeah. he's a bit on it at the moment. Yeah, those three starts he just he just like just put himself in position to to dominate the whole weekend. He was pretty flawless. And obviously you're saying you're doing the 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 changes to the bike. Do you like the format of the ADAC? How they have the, the three moto format? It's pretty cool. You obviously you guys love racing. So for for people that like that, it's pretty cool and it's really good for the fans, obviously, too. So are you happy with it? Yeah, I mean, I I like the I like the ADAC format and the way they run the championship, the way they go about it, and everything. I think that's really good. Um, yeah, f- for like a prize money perspective and earning money, the three motors is good. But I quite like the two motors on Sunday. Um, if you're talking about GPS, I prefer like just the two motors on Sunday. But the way the ADAC do it, um, is actually quite good to be honest. Rather than it being like a qualifying race or something, it's an actual moto. Um. And as a domestic championship and the way they do it, I think that works quite well. Yeah, it was very, it looks like it. Obviously, it's a very professional um, setup. And obviously, just looking on the weekend is sort of a testament to that with the, the stream running flawlessly on both days. And, and you know, they got the Red Bull sponsorship. There's the vibes, the crowd looked pretty good, lots of flares going off everywhere. And obviously, the podium <laughs> stuff was all well done. So it looks like it's a really well backed, well supported, and well organized uh, events and series. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you're talking about domestic championships, I think it's probably the best. Um, out of any of the ones that I've rode anyway, it's the best. The Dutch Masters is also very, very good. Um, yeah. But that's just Sunday format and only three rounds. But that's also kind of similar to the ADA, albeit no, uh, no live stream. But that also gets a lot of crowd that's well run and there's good money, prize money. But yeah, in general, the ADAC is... Is yet if you ask any of the riders that go and do it, I don't think anybody uh, has any complaints about how professional it is, and and just just the fact that like we had like sixty something people entered in the four hundred and fifty class, so that was a bit hectic in the free practice. Prime practice, you have two groups, and anybody who qualifies, like the top forty, everyone gets a hundred euros. So even if you finish fortieth, you still get a hundred euros. No, it's good, mate. Definitely makes it worth the while. And um, obviously, there's some there's some quality riders like yourself and Nagel and the Kosh boys and Spees and Jacoby and Geordie Tixier and these kind of guys. And the competition's good on their tracks. And would you say, um, in compared to the the British Championship, that which there's been a lot of chatter about lately, what what are the some of the key things they should probably learn from, or they need to improve on, from your perspective, having raced all these championships? In 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 my opinion, I just think yep. they he should someone from the British or the ACU or they just need to maybe go to the Dutch one Dutch Masters round or just watch one ADAC or just go there and see how they do it. Okay, the ADAC has maybe more funding from sponsors and and uh, gets more entries, but that's because of how the championship is run and what the what you get back from entering that championship. Like I just said, the hundred euros if you qualify. 
And the live stream works perfectly. That's why they have better sponsors. The tracks are always good. They actually listen to the riders as well. Like if there's a problem with the track, they are not scared to, if you go and say something, they're not scared to go and change it. Or if you say, oh, there's a, there's a kicker coming on that jump. It needs, it needs uh sorting out. Then they're not scared to five minutes delay the race to just go and sort the jump out. So just, just, all the small things that add up to, to in the end, make it a completely, yeah, different series. And this is not me completely slagging the British because I was racing the British for many years, and I like the British Championship because it's my home championship. And uh, I just would like it to see it get better and uh, be back to how it was before when it was when I first started doing it. Yeah, that's it, mate. Obviously, there's a lot of chat between um, like organisers not not uh, listing the riders. Obviously, we've got that sort of MXGP. There's been a fair bit about that too. And um, yeah, just to talk about the professionalism of it, like being me being Australian, the championship here is really well run. Like we've got a there's like a pay TV service and it's on free to air television. So like everyone in Australia has access to watch it, which is which is pretty cool. Obviously, in the series is super stacked this year, obviously as well. So. Yeah, it's good to have. It yeah. must be pretty cool to to have your perspective. And I know, I know James and and a couple of the MX Vice boys are ha- ha- planning to go to an ADAC and sort of hang around your team and uh, get get their perspective, which would be pretty cool, mate. They'd probably definitely learn a few things. Yeah, definitely. It's just just a good atmosphere there as well. Like there's music playing, there's lots of stuff going on. Um, same with the Dutch Mass. That's only Sunday, but there's lots of music going on and stuff. And when you go to a British, it's kind of I feel like the British, you only go there if you're completely um, 100% into the racing. Mm. As when you find with the Dutch Masters or the ADAC or something like that, people just go, even if they don't really have that much of interest in the, in the sport, they go because it's something to do. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fun day out, as I feel like the British, people who go to spectate there only go because they closely follow it or... Um, are really interested in the sport. It doesn't really appeal to a much wider people who don't really know what motocross is, as as opposed to the Dutch Masters or the Ada. <clears throat> as well, it's just it's just all them things added together at the end make it yeah make it more professional, which gets more riders, which means they can get more prize money for the riders, which means they get bigger sponsors, which means yeah they can run it better with more staff and and. Obviously, that's kind of what the British needs as well. Um, but I, from their side, I think it's not from the, they're not it's not from their lack of trying. It's um, it's just maybe they can change a few things to help the situation. Yeah, that's it. Obviously, we just want success for all all forms of motocross because it's such an awesome sport, and the more people involved, and from sponsors to fans to riders, it's it can only be a good thing, mate. It's not like we're having a pop it's just says if you sort of open your eyes there's there's other ways of doing it and ways to better it which is you know better for everyone but talking about your pre-season mate just changing tack a bit um obviously you've had a really good pre-season something you haven't enjoyed in the past so much with with injuries and issues with teams and these kind of things and obviously the boys caught up with you at Hawkstone where you're holding your own against you know Hurlings, Coldenoff, Everest and some pretty heavy hitters mate so you know the, the preparation was good the bike's good the, the body's good everything sort of aligned pretty well this year for you didn't it yeah definitely i mean i had a really really good off season um i had a good off season last year as well but it's just i didn't sign with salt until 
January sometime or maybe uh, late January, I think it was. So I didn't have that much time on the bike. Um, I was a bit behind with my bike fitness and then it was the whole year trying to catch up a bit. But this year, the team has invested a lot more in the team and uh, the bike's a lot better than last year. Um, so everything, all of that added together. I had a full off season, um, spent yeah two two and a bit weeks in Spain. So that went really well. Did a lot of testing. Um, actually struggled quite a bit to start with with the with the twenty three bike, but in the end we we got it sorted um, through the suspension testing and and just riding actually. And I've done a lot of hours this winter. And uh, yeah, it was nice to see it pay off at, at Hawkstone. Um, I struggled again a little bit when the track got a bit rougher, a bit of suspension uh, settings that I needed to change. Same as layer off, that was really rough. But struggled when it got rough. But like the first moment at Hawkstone, I felt really good. The fitness feels really good. Mentally, I feel really good. So um, it was nice to start the Adoc off solid, and hopefully we can keep building this momentum through the season and. The next race I'm going to do is obviously Arco GP. So hopefully I can get good starts there. And uh, yeah, it would be nice to run up the front with them guys like uh, at Hawkstone. So that'll be the goal. Yeah, it'll be a good sort of measuring sort of barometer to see how you're going. And obviously with, with the team, they obviously go above and beyond to help you guys, all the parts. And you've obviously got really good resources there for, a, for a, you know, not a factory team, but a really good private team. So had. How do you feel? Obviously, you're happy with it all and it just makes you feel comfortable and a, it's a good environment to succeed, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the team, I couldn't fault, actually. Um, the people that work there are really hardworking, really really nice to work with. Um, and yeah, the the stuff that they've brought to the bike this year, it's and the freedom we have to work with our own trainer or do what we want or we have the choice to do certain races if we want. Um, like if I want to go and do a race in the UK, it's also no problem. Um, I have my own practice mechanic in Belgium, so any parts or anything we need, it's always it's always sorted. And uh, yeah, at the moment, I'm really enjoying working with the guys at Saarholtz. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can fight for the ADAC title and give them something back. Yeah, mate, it must be so good to have that stability. And obviously the, the team situation has been something you've had issues with in the past in the pretty cutthroat world motocross. So to find that, find that great home is must be really cool and then like there's an Australian team here Yurive Konski runs the Honda boys and you know like Webster and Beaton and and these kind of guys they're getting a chance to if, if their schedule aligns to go and do AMA and to go and do maybe an Asian round of MXGP so it must it's hard to find those those owners and and bosses that obviously do everything in their power and have the resources to do it so it must be pretty pretty cool mate and do you have any expectations heading into Arco what's sort of you just looking for you know just to test it out and see how the weekend goes yeah i mean it'd be my first gp since i only did one last year in czech um but in the gp especially around a track like arco you need you need a good start so qualifying is kind of important there and uh especially now with the new start to get on the inside um but yeah you need you need good starts and if you get good starts, I'm pretty sure I can run a good pace. Um, so that'll be the plan. If you get don't get good starts, it's a bit of a rough a rough weekend because the obviously the depth is is so high. But 
Um, yeah, that's the plan. Solid qualifying, solid starts. It's been my first GP of the year, so uh, just try and get some uh, solid points on the board. Yeah, and obviously with the the new qualifying uh, race points going on this year, um, what's your sort of thoughts on the state of play in MXGP and and are you happy with that uh, addition? Obviously, it's a pretty divisive topic, some for it, some against it. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. And obviously, the age rule, you got any opinions on that as well? Um, I'm not a fan of the points in qualifying moto, to be honest. Yep. I don't know who it is. I don't know. I haven't spoke to everybody, but the majority of people I speak to, it's kind of the opposite of what everybody wanted. Um but yeah, that's uh, that's their decision and what they think makes it better. But I personally don't think it makes any difference. It just makes the championship maybe even more boring if somebody's dominant. Like Yago has a massive points lead in MX2 already, and it's only two rounds. So yeah, and Sue likewise in MXGP lost a lot of points already for the sake of the qualifying motor, you know. Um, so for that reason, I not a big fan of it i think it would be much better to do like a super pole make it a lot more fan orientated um yeah like big screen see see the riders go on a all out 110 percent qualifying mm. lap i think that's much better than than uh like the qualifying races now because i actually don't think it improves the racing that much because still the majority of points and for the gp the win is on sunday yeah. and yeah, I don't think like sometimes one point difference ma- makes a massive difference in trying to risk the, all of your points to try and make one pass in the qualifying race when you already got a good gate pick for Sunday. So I don't know. Like, maybe people have different opinions on it, but I think it, I think it would be much better. And as a fan perspective and a rider perspective, if it was more like a Super Pole format, but it's not my decision. And uh, yeah, I won't be able to change it. So. Yeah, and the uh, just a quick, quick uh, couple of cents on the age rule. Obviously, another topic that <laughs> divides opinion. I mean, I think in the EMX there should be an age rule, but I think in MX2 and MXGP there shouldn't be an age rule. So, again, it just limits teams' options, um, riders' options, riders' options to make a, a living or to be even to do a full series of MXGP. Um, so yeah, like MXGP lost quite a lot of riders over the last few years, whether that be retire, um, Mm. or just do a domestic series like me and Henry, um, Conrad, Jed Beaton, yeah, Beaton. For for example, if there was an option where we could have gone back to MX2 on a good bike, then we would have been able to stay doing the whole series. So. I think that would be a positive if there was no age rule, but I understand also why they've done it. But I think it makes more sense to scrap that age rule and uh, and uh, yeah, give more opportunities. And then both championships could be also have more depth. There will be more riders. Um, MX2 would have more entries. Uh, and yeah, I think it'd be much, much better without the age rule. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it would look without it because obviously in America you got guys like Martin and Christian Craig and you know they're veterans and they've spent many, many, many or sometimes whole careers in two fifty class essentially. So it'd be interesting to see how it would look, but obviously you can you sort of can see that their focus is making that MXG class MXGP class 
absolutely stacked and the complete focus. And I'm, it's not like MX2 is a junior class, but it's 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 an elite junior class essentially with that age group. Yeah. So it'd be really cool to see what what it would what it would be like. But yeah, do you do you feel that um, what like what do you how do you see MX2 compared to MXGP, for example? I don't see it as a obviously MXGP is the is is the top class, but MX2 is still obviously um, a really elite class. So I don't see that it making that much difference if they took away. I mean, it would be a big difference if they took away the age rule because it could keep, they could keep something like the AMA. I'm not sure if they have that still now, where uh, if you win the title twice or whatever, you need to move yeah. up. So it saves, it saves like Herland staying there next yeah. to you, you know, and just come yeah. title every year. But <clears throat> you could have something like that. But for like what I just said, I think it's better if there was no age rule. It gives more options for teams. Then sponsors are happy because they can get better riders, can fight for better results. Um, riders are happy they can stay in the MXGP. Makes the championship better. I understand what they're doing with MX MXGP, but um, yeah, at the moment I think it's not it's not reaching um, or going in that direction of where it at the moment can be like that like Formula One or MotoGP, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty interesting. It's good to hear your thoughts on it, mate. And obviously you've um, spent many, many years in the MXGP paddock working with some, some pretty cool teams, you know, FNH, Hitachi, CLS, and you had a spell with JD Gunnick. So how, how do you sort of, how do you sort of sum up your, your MXGP paddock um, career and, and just did you, how much did you enjoy it? And, what are some of your best moments? And you, you know, you've had worked with heaps of cool teams, cool teammates, and and just obviously you've progressed heaps as a rider throughout that time too. Yeah, I mean, I loved obviously every, every year that I've rode MXGP. I, I I love racing the series. It's cool. I I actually enjoy. That it's, it's cool to see a lot of stuff. Um, I started off with my first GP in Argentina, so did a spell with Steve Turner on the KTM's. Which I really enjoyed being young and racing MX2. That was that was really cool. And then uh, yeah, signed for for CLS, which uh, um, <clears throat> didn't turn out so well. Actually, that was always a dream. Actually, to sign for that team, watching Tommy ride there for uh, yeah when I was younger, watching him on the TV, you know. So for when I signed there, it was such a big achievement for me. And then I ended up doing my ACL. <clears throat> round four, I believe, in Volkenswald. So after that, it was unlucky because the team closed. Um, but then, yeah, I got the chance to sign for FNH. So spent two great years with them, and obviously, in 2019 was my best year. Um, yeah, fighting at the front of MX2, almost every race was was quite uh, quite cool. So and my best moment has to be the Nations yep. in 2019. Getting on the podium, that was that was a really special moment for me. Also because I spent the whole year in MX2 getting fourth. <laughs> <Yeah. pretty much. laughs> like joint on points, missing the podium by one point, having the podium position and someone making a pass and getting yeah. kicked off the podium. Like that was very annoying at some at, at times, as you can imagine. But and it was it was looking like we was gonna get fourth actually in the nations that was at one point until uh Paulan's bike broke, but now it was nice in the end, and and yeah, that was real, uh, real special time, and and one that was 
good for me to um, round off my MX2 career in, in MXGP. So that I was really happy with. And <clears throat> obviously the last few years, my first few years in MXGP was a struggle. Um, yeah, people can see that. And uh, whether that be with teams, <clears throat> preparation, um, some difficulties I had with myself. <clears throat> but now we are on a good track. So, um, yeah, all them issues are sorted. And hopefully one day I can get back in MXGP. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Is that that's obviously the goal to come back um, full time to MXGP or in the in the future? But you still you still yeah, got many like, years ahead of you. Yeah, I would like to if the if the deal is right and the opportunity presents itself. Um, yeah, that's something I would like to do. But at the moment, I'm enjoying working with the guys at Sarholtz and. Um, fully focused on that so um yeah at the moment that's my only focus and we will see towards the end of the year yeah it's certainly exciting times anyway mate it's good you've found that um sort of position to reset and talking about the mxgp transition obviously how how difficult well did you find it was um obviously the the, the intensity the the competitive nature and obviously there's a lot of things you got to sort out mentally and physically to be at the peak of your powers which it all combines to to make the complete package when you head up. And you, like you said, you you might not have had all that. But, um, yeah, what were the key things you noticed personally? Because you hear a lot of guys, obviously, the intensity is the number one thing. Was that it for you? Uh, just for me to start with was adjusting to the 450. Like, I could ride it really well in in training. But when you go to the race, I was kind of sometimes dropping back to riding how I would a 250. So. And that doesn't work so well on the 450, especially if you haven't got the the team or whatever to adjust the bike that much where you can change everything or to exactly how you like it. So that I struggled with. Um, and yeah, I felt like my preparation was good and everything was good like that. I just I just struggled adapting to the, to the 450, which I always thought... I would ride a 450 better than a 250 because mm. I'm a bigger guy and um, I'm quite a smooth rider, not so aggressive. So I always thought that the 450 would suit me better, but making that first initial step to it was was quite difficult with setup. I actually think it's more difficult to set up a 450 also because 250, it's kind of like just give me as much power as you want and yeah. as you can get. And I could always use my strength on a 250 to... If something starts going wrong or if the berm's broken in the corner, you can just kind of get away with it a bit more. But on a 450, yeah, it it, it goes wrong a lot, a lot faster if you if you're not ready for it or don't have the bike set up correct or there's just it's a lot more difficult to set up it in my opinion than a than a 250. But also the 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 stack field is that stacked that if you are a little bit off. There's the difference of being, especially in qualifying, where you then you need to get a good start. It all adds together, and yeah, it's you're fighting against multiple world champions, people who um, many podiums, MXGP. It's it's the pinnacle of the sport, so of course it's going to be difficult. And to be at the top or to get really good results, you need all of them pieces of the puzzle to fit together. So that I struggled with, and. Uh, yeah, 
it's been a bit of a long road to build back up from that uh, mentally, physically, getting some confidence back, uh, not having any small niggly injuries or anything like that. And uh, now I feel like we're on the right track. So looking forward to keep improving. Yeah, and you obviously feel extremely uh, comfortable on the 450 these mates. These days, mate, very accomplished. Even on the weekend watching you ride, you could tell you were very correct. It was smooth. Like even some of those rollers, you're like some of the guys are, are fighting the bike a little bit more and you just look really smooth and almost like you weren't even trying. And and there was that massive big jump opposite the the, the start gate. That looked like a bit of fun too. But yeah, the riding looked good, mate. And um, yeah, you just you obviously feel like you're, you're right there with it and there's this sort of, no, you feel like you're complete on that bike now. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, like, also, there's a lot of different training that you need to do for a 450. If you, if you don't ride it correct, or you try ride it too much, like a 250, it it just pulls your arms off and you get tired. You can be tired in a few laps. So that was hard to adjust to. Um, but yeah, we've or we've worked it out, um, and uh, yeah, now I feel really good. Like you said. I feel smooth. I feel strong. Um, I feel like I know how to ride a 450 more. I feel like I know how to set it up better. And uh, yeah, the weekend and at Hawkstone, that showed that um, this year we're going on the right track. So looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, like you said, keep improving and uh, hopefully we can keep the trajectory going in the right direction. So would you say you feel the best you've felt in your career right now at this point? Potentially, yeah. Um, I did mention to James, I spoke to him at uh, at Hawkstone and I said mentally and physically and stuff, this is probably, 2019, I also felt really, really good going into the my last year in MX2. Um, and it's a while ago now, so it's quite hard to compare. But at the moment, I feel mentally really good, physically really good. I'm really happy with the team, really happy with the bike, <clears throat> happy with everyone around me and how it's going. So, um, yeah, potentially the best I've ever felt in my career and, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy with everything. Yeah, and obviously you moved to Belgium and and you're still living there, and um, you're a very complete rider on all surfaces. And you obviously would have worked with guys like Mark Deruba, and you've had teammates throughout the years like Conrad, Jed, Jacoby, Bass, Rowan, Van der Most, like these kind of guys. So, what would you credit um, you being so accomplished in the sand now as well? Just a combination of obviously the trainer and and teammates pushing you and obviously making that move is a huge thing to do as well. Yeah, of course. Like if you want to get good in the sand, you kind of need to be out in Belgium and put in the hours, you know, but you, it's not something you can just learn immediately. It's from, I've always felt like I've been stronger in the sand and I actually was weaker on the hard pack, but I kind of got it. So I'm semi half decent on both now. Um, but I still prefer the, the softer surface. But I also like if someone asks me what my favorite GP is, it's always Czech Republic. So it's complete <laughs> opposite. I like I like Lommel and I like Czech Republic. But um, yeah, like going back to what you said, it's through like five years of living in Belgium. I always rode sand in the UK as well. Um, always felt like I was a better sand rider. And uh, yeah, of course, having teammates like the, with the people you just said, and having a coach like Deruva, and and knowing how good he is in the sand, you of course learn a lot of techniques and how to read a track and the line choices you need to make and bike set up and yeah, just just experience as well. I'm 26 now, so I've been doing it quite a while, and 
um, if you learn a little bit each year, in the end, it all adds up to to improving quite a lot. So, yeah. Was he? Was he? Mark seems like he's a good guy. That like he gets the balance between being sort of pretty firm and having a laugh. Did um you find that that sort of his uh his way of working was a good balance made to get the best out of you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mark's, in my opinion, an unbelievable coach. I I think because he's been there himself, done it, kind of knows what he did wrong as well. Yeah. Um, but what Mark's really good at is understanding each rider. And if they are having a bad day, he'll cheer them up or make know how to get the best out of each of them. You know, it was never a, there was never a not a fun day at the track with him. You can always, even if you're having the worst day ever, you come and say something stupid or, or uh, yeah, do something to make you laugh and just turns the day around. And going to the GPs with him is always fun. You know, even if you have a bad result, as a rider, you know you've had a bad result. You don't need somebody to tell you that. Um, it was always, you can do this and turn it around and have a laugh, and but still take it serious and do the best work we could. So, I really enjoyed working with, um, with Mark and the F and H guys, and uh, was was a laugh actually all year. And we worked really hard, and I think we had some good results together. And uh, like I said before, it was nice to give something back also with the nation's uh, result. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, the training, uh, you know, most people probably don't realise how hard you guys train and how disciplined you are with your nutrition and everything. So just give give the sort of the fans a bit of an insight into sort of how much bicycle work, maybe you can break it down in sort of a, a daily schedule or even maybe hours per week on the bicycle, in the gym, on the bike, on the track and and doing, you know, maybe you do stuff like meditation and all these other things like yoga and Pilates, you know, there's a lot that goes into it, isn't it? It's, a, it's an all-in program and you know, blokes as wives and girlfriends and families obviously deserve a lot of credit for their support as well. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously motocross is a really physically demanding sport, despite what some people think who don't really know the sport. But mm. you need to be good, good at everything in motocross. It's not just cardio fitness. It's not just strength. It's it's a mixture of everything, flexibility, every type of element of fitness. You need to be needs to be included into motocross training. So that's kind of what makes it difficult. And obviously there's not as many hours in the day and you can't keep training every hour of the day. So it's picking the right moments at the right point. And that's why you have physical trainers and riding coaches and um, and they all fit it together to get the best out of you. Um, but a week, obviously the off season's a lot more volume because um, you haven't got a race to perform at. So... You can put a lot more volume in, so there's a lot more cycling. I actually prefer a lot. I actually prefer to run more than cycling. Um, I just find it more enjoyable. Um, but of course, I still cycle as well. I do some. I do yoga myself. Yep. Um, and of course, normal gym work, strength, endurance, conditioning, um, flexibility stuff, balance stuff, reaction work. Um, but a typical week in between races would be like Monday. If you travel back from the race or whatever, you do steady cardio just to to do some recovery, some stretching, some yoga, maybe massage or whatever the the plan may be, depending on the person. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is normally the ride days, as in maybe only Wednesday or Tuesday, Wednesday or Wednesday, Thursday or Tuesday, Thursday. Normally, I would ride one or two in between races 
one or two times in the week no more um because obviously friday you're going to go to the race again um and yeah especially depending on the race if it's far if you're doing gps there's a lot of traveling involved so more if you do gps it's probably only one time in the week but um with the adac and stuff i ride normally wednesday thursday or tuesday wednesday so they're my riding days and then thursday again would be a bit of keeping on top of the strength or and the cycle uh, Friday, some recovery stuff again. And then at the weekend, we're racing. And then uh, just repeat pretty much through the whole year. I feel like most people have similar, all of the riders, if you go to the, the GP paddock, they all have kind of similar what they do. They will all cycle on Monday, recovery on Monday, ride on a Wednesday or Tuesday or Thursday. Um, so everyone's kind of on the, on the same program. They just have their own twist into what suits them or works better for them. Yeah, so it's like, Obviously, you're fulfilling your dream and chasing it, and but it's still not an easy life, you know, like the training alone and the and then the traveling. Obviously, that must take it out of you a lot, and then obviously dealing with fans and and media, it all must leave you pretty exhausted most days, and especially after the GPs. Do you find that you got to balance it? Yeah, definitely. So if you're going to do a full GP season, actually, the hardest part is probably the traveling part to to recover like if you just done the race in argentina for example and it and it's hot or indonesia and it's hot and you've literally give your all and your body's completely empty on sunday you might have to get up at four or five in the morning to go fly home back to holland on two flights and it takes 20 hours for you to get back and then yeah you've got to train again that week so you've got to race the next the next weekend so the most difficult part about motocross is like you've got to be at your best or try to be at your best for the whole season. It, the season is so long. It's not like some sports like athletics or football's even six months or um, yeah, boxing where you just, you're aiming to perform on one night and in motocross, you need to be at your best through the whole season. And that's, in my opinion, that's what makes it so difficult to try and stay injury free because like a lot of other motorsports as well, what's busy like Formula One and MotoGP, they don't re- they don't really ride in the week, and mm. and we ride still in the week. So we have a lot more risk that's in our sport of getting injured. We also ride in the week. So to try and be on your best every weekend is is, is the most difficult part, in my opinion. In uh, in motocross, try not to get ill, try and stay injury free, try and be at your best to perform on every weekend over that such length of distance in such a physically demanding sport is what makes it, in my opinion, um, so difficult. Yeah, it's it's a majorly brutal sport. Do you, do you find you are susceptible to like little illnesses and stuff more so like colds and that with just the amount the amount of you know how hard you're pushing your body to the limit? Does it feel like it compromises your immune system a little bit too? Like you're just on that edge, not much body fat, this kind of stuff. Uh, I, I, to be fair, I feel like I don't get ill as much as some people. I'm pretty good with that. I think, um, like I hardly ever get ill. Um, so that's a positive. Um, can be people's different bodies and stuff. Um, I think in motocross, it's not. Yeah, we are quite low body fat, but if you go t- too low then you get more risk, especially when you're in airports and on planes and you come back from Indonesia on a plane that's like 36 years old. <laughs> and the food poison still... over there too. <laughs> With ashtrays still in the seats, you've uh, <laughs> you've got a very high risk of 
getting ill, especially after a race weekend as hot as somewhere like that, you know. Um, so I feel like it's better to just be a little bit, have a little bit more body fat and, and uh, stay healthy than to completely get down to a really low percentage body fat and be ill all the time. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool take on it, mate. And obviously your, your diet and all that has to be well and truly in a line. Just to go back to the training side, obviously we had Lorenzo Resto, respected Italian journalist, used to work with Honda and all that stuff. He's um, a great bloke with plenty of knowledge. He was saying that even a guy like Tim Geiser, he's obviously got his facility. Um, he was saying every year he changes and elevates his training program because he knows all the guys are coming and they're they're coming harder and they're and they're training more or training better. You know, getting themselves to a higher level. Do you find yourself doing that too, just to keep up with the competition and adapt to any changes and evolutions you can? Yeah, of course. I mean, the sport's always changing. The bikes are always getting better. The the training techniques are always getting better. The diet's getting better. So. I feel like as you get older as well, you learn your body more, what works, what doesn't work. I felt not good after that. That improved it, that didn't improve it. So I feel like everyone every year, technically, apart from like things that you can't control, like mentally a bike or stuff like that, I think you can always, or bad injuries or something like that, you can always improve or learn more about yourself uh, to help you improve for the season. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me that, of course, he, I think everyone will, like if you go to everyone before the season that everybody always says, yeah, it's the best off season they've ever had, you know, and <laughs> everything like that. That's normally, because that's what you feel, you know, at the at the time you've, you've done what you think was better than last year or like you've took notes of what you did last year and you think, okay, this year we're going to do it this way because that's going to improve it or I found that this year or that didn't work last year, so I'm going to do that different and that's just normal evolution, I think, of the, of any top sport or any athlete. Uh, um, I think if you if you didn't do that, then then uh, yeah, you wouldn't be able to keep up or, or perform. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that obviously you're doing all this work off the bike and on the bike, and you know people probably don't realize how frustrating it must be for you guys when the bike isn't right on race day and you can't get the setup um, how you want it. So it's compromising your riding. How how pedantic are you with setup and uh, you're a very good test rider. You notice things very easily. Uh, yeah. I like to say I'm, I'm, I'm a good test rider. Yeah. Um, I have a good feeling for the biker and like for me being a test rider is quite easy. You just say, you just say the truth. It, like yeah. catchphrase, you just say, say what you feel, say what you see, you know? Um, so for me, that's quite easy. I have a good feeling for that. Um, I've always been good at testing. Um, but some things like if you have a bike that completely is new or doesn't suit you, or the team doesn't have the the um, facilities or chance to to change it completely, that's when it can get difficult, and you can spend a lot of time testing maybe in the wrong direction or um, it's just not working. That's when it becomes difficult, and then obviously the results struggle because you don't have any confidence in the bike. Um, but yeah, I consider myself quite a good test rider, and and uh, yeah, I actually did a little bit of testing last year with KTM. So um, yeah, it was nice to nice to see how they go about it, and uh, I definitely learned some things. Yeah, it's pretty cool, mate. Obviously, if you've got a talent for that, it gives you some good career prospects, you know, because a lot of dudes can 
can sort of extend their their careers without racing being a test rider, which is something that'll be hold you in good stead, mate. And do you obviously there's a few more teams probably you know in the coming to MXGP in the future, you know, with the Ducati and the Triumph. Does that excite you? Obviously, more rides, more factory rides, better equipment potentially if the if the bikes are up to scratch. Is, it sort of gives riders some more opportunities on the horizon. You're looking forward to that and maybe exploiting some of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, if there's new brands and new new teams coming into the paddock, especially with with them big names that you mentioned, like Ducati and Triumph. And at the moment, yeah, Triumph is investing a lot of money in what they do publicly or and behind the scenes. I see how much they're investing in the people they're employing. So that's definitely interesting. Um, of course, that's something interesting to me. Um, if there was an opportunity to come up with one of them teams, then of course I would definitely be interested to look into it. Um, but I think that's exciting for MXGP. I think it's exciting for riders. That's that's more opportunities for for making a living and and uh, being back in the world championship. And uh, I'm excited to see excited to see the Triumph bike actually. Um, I don't think anybody's uh, no. There's been no leaked photos or <laughs> as you'd normally see, you know. So even people in the industry they also don't know what it looks like. So it's exciting to to see that. And uh, a massive company like Triumph is can only be good for the sport and for MXGP. Yeah, obviously someone like you would have a immense value to to teams like that, having so much experience. Even though you're not that old, but you've got a lot of experience, race different championships, different teams, different classes. Um, I reckon someone like you would definitely be in pole position when they come up. Yeah, I think I think they start with MX2 next year, if I'm yeah, right, yeah. maybe. I'm not sure. And then maybe MXGP after. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I just said, I'd be very interested in in uh, speaking with them. I know obviously they would want someone who's going to go win on their bike. Um, I don't know what the the opportunity or, or the bike even looks like yet. So it's still very early stages, but of course to, to, to be a part of a brand like Triumph or, or Ducati or and be a part of that new project is exciting to me and something I'd be very interested in. Yeah. And obviously looking at this year's MXGP championship, what's sort of your key takeaways from the first two rounds? Obviously you keep a pretty close eye on it, no doubt. So what are, what are some of the things like obviously Hurling's being so good so early uh, after his return and, these kind of things, and obviously Prado with the with the qualifying uh, race domination, and you can sort of get a championship by just sort of plucking away there. And yeah, there's a lot of lot of so many good riders. It's sort of like even guys like Valandrin, who was like he was battling hurlings and you know holding his own well and truly in the sand, and you know wait for Bogas and Jonas to do well, Guadagnini, and even Pacharel, you know, and Ferrato. These guys that maybe people don't think about, they're just still you know beasts in their own right. So. What have what have your sort of been highlights so far? I mean, yeah, I'm still a big fan, obviously, of MXGP. I watch I watch the qualifying race. I watch the two motos um, every weekend. So um, I think the racing this year has been really good. It's been close. You don't know. You can't say who's gonna gonna win on the weekend. Um, I think Jeffrey after Sardinia, maybe the old Jeffrey is back with like a bit. The animal that is Jeffrey um, might be more dominant if if he sorts his starts out. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's close racing every weekend. You don't know who's going to win. Um, Prado always takes good starts, so I think Sue will be back in the mix now. 
Um, so yeah, it's it, it's exciting exciting to watch, and uh, can't wait for Arco to be to be involved in it. Yeah, yeah. Was there any temptation to go to the Swiss round this weekend? Uh, to be fair, the, the the team asked what GPs I would want to do, and I didn't list Swiss. I just listed the ones that was close and ones I wanted to wanted to ride. Um, so Swiss was an option to ride potentially, but um, in the end, I decided not to race there and to do the first one in Arco. So this year, I got six GPs planned. Um, that will be Arco, Germany, Czech, Lommel. Arnhem and Matley. Um so yeah, there's six tracks that I like, six that I enjoy racing at, and uh yeah, six that I'm looking forward to. So six opportunities to make some good results and uh yeah, see what we can do. Yeah, mate, good chance to put your name in the in the shop window with obviously all that stuff we've just spoken about. And well, I just wanted to ask you about Lockett. What in particular sort of is appealing about that track to you? I'm not sure many riders have that as their favourite track. Actually, <laughs> might only be me. But now, I my my tracks that I, or the worst conditions that I don't like to ride are like when it's perfect grip. Like if they if you can see the nobble marks to like what most people would be a perfect perfect track. Yeah, that's fun to ride. But for me, that's my worst or least favorite surface to ride if it's perfect grip and you can see the nobbles i like the either end of the spectrum really like a slippy track like locket where there is some grip and you can slide a little bit i uh for some reason i go really well like in sweden also when when the ground's like that and you can really push the push the limits of the tires i kind of that's comfortable to me where it's the bike's sliding but um there's still some grip there and obviously I like Lommel because it's just a really tough race. Obviously you work hard for them races and and yeah, you need to be fit there. It's all about line choice and uh flowing and and yeah, being really physically fit, bike set up. So I like them races because it's where when you do the hard work and you put the time in, you can get a reward from it. So they're the reasons why I like like them two things and check as well i think it's just a good one to go to there's a good atmosphere i've always done good results there so that's probably why i uh <laughs> probably why i like it as well because yeah if you have a good weekend you tend to like the track so hmm. they're my two matley i like because it's my home gp of course um, and that's cool to ride in front of the british fans and stuff like that uh, Matley is one of the best tracks in the world. I feel like to do a train, uh, like a practice day there would be unbelievable. Just for racing, I don't think it's it's the best track um, to race on. But uh, I still enjoy doing the GP there. And and uh, but yeah, my favorite GP would definitely be uh, Locket or Lommel. Do you, when you were growing up, did you get a comfort for that uh, sort of instability? You know of the because a lot of guys probably, you know, they must find it so hard on those tracks to to find the the balance of pushing too hard or not going hard enough. So where do you gain that comfort in those conditions, mate? I'm not sure. I don't know whether that's from riding technique or just from the tracks I rode when I was younger. Um, like when I was younger, my dad was very good at, we rode all different types of of ground. So I don't know whether it's, it, it, it's that reason. I just, 
I think I just feel comfortable with with being able to push the bike grips to the limit where it's sliding, but you still have grip. I guess surface. Um, I made my bike set up of how I like the bike works in them conditions. Um, I'm not like the most technically gifted rider like Prado or or someone like that, you know, where where they're where they're so technical. Yeah. Um, I prefer more like you can just run it in there, hold the grip, go through the bumps more than ride around the bumps, you know, um, that type of style. So I feel like that probably works on them conditions a bit better than than like I said before. I don't really like it when it's perfect grip. Um, I guess that's the reason why. Yeah, and do you like with your technique? Obviously, a lot of it is to do with your dad. Did you have any particular riders you took some pointers from growing up, or was it just mainly your dad instilling it onto you? Um, to be fair, dad never never raced motocross, so yeah, uh, he never really uh, um, yeah had had like technique to say, or he just did. I guess when I was younger, what he thought was best to get the best result and the bike the best and um but i had a i had a coach since since i was six um rich mike from rmj academy who's now ash wild he he looks after that program so he was my coach for yeah all of my my whole career until i went to fnh actually so um yeah many years working with him um and yeah we worked together his company is now really big and obviously one of the the best coaches out there for for motocross in in uh, in the UK and um, yeah, I only split with him when I went to F and H because I lived moved then in Holland and started working with Deruva. So um, a lot of what I did when I was younger was decided between uh, him and my dad. Um, but yeah, going back to why I prefer Czech, I I guess it's just maybe a preferred surface or or um, yeah. The, the hard work that I put in when I was younger. Yeah, it's certainly all paid off, mate, because obviously there's not, not many people get to the level you're at, you know, because it's it's such a hard sport to to get to get so good. And obviously looking back at the state of the, the British youngsters coming through and, and the races at the elite level, there's probably not as many as the, as the scene would like. So what's your take on? Is there anything you would suggest that needs to be doing to get the riders, more riders into the sport or... The, de- the development pathways need improving just from your perspective what do you think obviously it's quite at the moment it's quite difficult obviously motocross is a very financially difficult yeah. sport like you, you it's not just like football something where you can just go and buy some football boots you know and and and, and you're away um obviously there's a lot you need a lot of time there's a lot of traveling involved especially now with the cost of everything it's it's obviously quite a sport that's quite difficult to get into, but I feel like, yeah, there's a whole conversation to be had. We could probably spend hours talking <laughs> about on how to improve the sport um, and what to do to make it better. And of course, anything, I would love to see the sport get better and keep improving every year. So, um, yeah, that to me, I, I just think one thing that could maybe improve, again, just comparing it to like how they do here in Holland, um, I don't know the completely details of how this maybe would work in the UK, but what what would work better, in my opinion, is that to go practice in the UK, 
you would need to buy, everyone would need to buy an ACU license like they do here in Holland, like to go training on the track. You need the, the K&MV license. And how they do it here is you pay that license to, and you can go ride on the practice tracks. And when you choose your license, you choose the club. So whoever that be, say in the UK, it, it could be wherever you live, your local club. And a percentage of that um, money that you paid for your license goes to that club. So in my opinion, if the UK did that, that's more money for the ACU, more money to invest in the British Championship. Each track and club gets more money. Um, I'm sure to improve the sport and I don't know for the ins- whether that makes the insurance better or what, I'm sure parents and riders wouldn't mind buying an ACU license if they knew it was going um, to the sport for them reasons, you know. So just off the top of my head, I think that's one quick way to improve the sport. And I don't know if that's something that can be possible or not. Um, I don't know the complete details, but I know that's how they do it over here and, and that works really well. So, um, yeah, off the top of my head, that's something that I think can be improved. Yeah, and obviously another issue that we've probably heard across you know the world really is there do you find there's many tracks shutting down across or where you live especially with obviously the you know the, the you know more land getting built on and people don't like the noise of you know motocross bikes all the time where they live do you find that's an issue to that needs resolving obviously the electric bike thing you know there's is something that has been used to potentially remedy that in some areas but what's your take on that yeah, definitely. I think obviously we, we could do with more tracks, especially where I am in the UK, you know, like North Wales, Chester, Liverpool, Manchester, there's not really, you haven't got a wide variety of tracks like growing up. I had to travel, my closest was Preston Docks, like one hour 20. I was spent many hours, especially in the winter, going like over two hours to Fat Cats there and back. Um, Yeah, coming over to Belgium to ride. So especially in the winter, because there's a lot of hard pack tracks in the UK. And obviously in the winter they are closed because it's so wet. But I think there's definitely a need for more more facilities. Um, but yeah, I think the problem is with that, you can go invest a load of money, set one up, and then someone can complain about the noise and then you are shut down. So that's kind of probably makes people scared to even, even if they have the money or the facilities to do it, to, to invest that time and money into it for that reason. But I just don't think, like, the same happens in Belgium and Holland now, like, people can complain and get the track shut down, as we know with Honda Park and Lommel almost got shut down for that reason. I just don't think it should be a rule where, like, if a track has been there for that many years, yeah. like, I remember I remember years and years ago, Mildenhall almost getting shut down because one um, family or one guy, or I can't remember, moved into the house next to the track and then complained about the noise and then almost got the track <laughs> shut down. I don't think, I just don't see how that can be, how that should be a rule. Like if, okay, fair enough. If you're living there, then a new track opens. I understand that mm. point. But if a track's been there for years and years and years and years and years, and you know it's there and you move there, you shouldn't be able to get that track shut down. That in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of know what you're getting into in that point. And obviously you see places, you know, that have been there for years and then, you know, you fast forward to now and they're just like industrial estates built around them or housing estates. And it's just, 
yeah, it doesn't feel the right approach to take, but that's, uh, you know, people and they you know, they obviously don't appreciate the sport because it's not a mainstream sport. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a very tough balance to find and obviously councils more so and government, local governments probably cave to pressure more so than standing on the motocross dude's side as well. Yeah. Like it would be nice. It, it would be nice if the government's got a bit more involved because there is a lot of bike crime or in the UK where mm. people ride on the road and in fields illegally on cycle paths. And um, yeah, if the government could or work with the ACU or the ACU do something where there maybe even if it was one more facility somewhere, but I feel like there could be a partnership or something where it also improves the sport because I feel like motocross as well. I don't know any other sports where like motorbikes is is really big. Like I could go around my area where I live or like for Liverpool, everybody knows what a dirt bike is, mm. but nobody knows the sport motocross. Mm. Like you could go go around and ask loads of people about dirt bikes, they will know. But they, you ask them who's Jeffrey Hurlins or who's Tim Geyser, they don't have a clue. So I feel like motocross can be so, so much bigger. Um, but it's just doing the development and everything to get it to that to that stage. But the difficult the difficult part with motocross is like trying to compare it to like MotoGP and Formula One and stuff. It's just I don't think it can get to the to, to the height of Formula One anyway because. Like if you're a hobby, if your hobby is Formula One, or like that's what you enjoy, you can't just on the weekend go and Formula One. So, like when people work Monday to Friday, and their hobby is Formula One, then they can just watch the race on Saturday and Sunday, or go to the race Saturday Sunday. As in motocross, if you work Monday to Friday, um, and you love motocross, the only chance you get to ride is Saturday and Sunday. So you're not going to be able to go watch the GP or <laughs> or watch the GP on MXGP TV live because you are you want to do the sport yourself. So that's kind of where I think Supercross also has a bit of an advantage um, on that side because it's at night. It can be in major cities. Um, yeah, it's less dirty. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's much fans because obviously right. the comfort's there for fans in stadiums and, you know, if you go to a motocross track on a on a wet, muddy day, you know, if you're bringing wives and, and kids and portaloos and, you know, it's probably not overly yeah. appealing to a lot of people, which, you know, to us, it's fine. But, you know, to the to the to new people to the sport, you could imagine there's a few things that uh, impede their ability to fully get into it. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that's also something that can be improved with MXGP, like for like a VIP, like if a, t- a top sponsor is coming, there's not real, like real, vi- real, real VIP um, like a box in a stadium or they have a VIP at MXGP, but it's not like people who, who want to maybe invest hundreds of thousands into the sport or, or they want a bit more than the v, the VIP that they have there, in my opinion. Um, but like they want to bring their wife at, like to Supercross in cities and they have a box and they can drink champagne while seeing the whole track, while see their logo on the bike stay clean. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pros to, to to Supercross, but that doesn't mean motocross can also get better. Also, yeah, obviously facilities improve, and like you're saying, with the you know the potential cut of those license fees going towards clubs to 
you know, make better roads, better parking areas, better better viewing, grandstands, whatever. It's an interesting one. And it's obviously one if they can sort of bridge that gap, they'll get that outside sponsorship, which is sort of coming a bit towards, you know, things like Supercross with progressive insurance jumping on board with the Ken Rocks and Suzuki team. And that's probably a key thing towards just getting that name out there of the sport. Do you do you think that's I- potential to happen one day or is there anything in the works you're hearing because it's all mainly energy energy drinks and you know industry stuff at the moment isn't it yeah definitely i mean yeah thank god for like monster and rockstar and and uh, red bull and motocross because yeah yeah without them guys i don't know where the sport would be so yeah, they make a massive investment, and obviously for them, they 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 like it as well. And it's action sports, and uh, but I think I feel like also uh, going back a little bit to what I was saying before, the in motocross, I feel like you have a, a divide also, as, especially in the UK. You have like an Evo scene, who people like who love the twin shocks and everything like that, and then you have the the normal motocross fans. I feel like it'd be that's why I think. I know they looked at maybe a, a, a GP at Hawkstone uh, not so long ago, but in the end it wasn't possible. But I feel like if they had a GP at Hawkstone, you would bring all of them, all of them fans together. Like you see how much how busy like Fox Hills was and Farley was yeah. a few years ago. Um, like I have, I have a, a sponsor that n- never goes to Matterley, but is always at Farley. Or like a tw- any twin shot race, or so I feel like if you had like a GP at Hawkstone or something like that, I feel like it would bring everyone together. But that's another divide in in motocross. I feel, especially in the UK, I don't think so much over here. But um, yeah, I feel like there's a divide there also. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. You know, just bringing the sport on a bit, and you know, we obviously try and cover it as best we can. And you know, it's it's there's so, so many cool riders, with so many awesome stories out there you know just you know aussie champion um i was speaking to tanti a couple of weeks ago and he obviously won the mx1 championship in australia and you know he was he was doing an apprenticeship getting ten dollars an hour um you know right up until he finished that and then you know he was just riding on weekends and then you know work splitting his time between his full-time job once he you know finished his apprenticeship and got his trade and then racing on weekends and then worked his way up to private teams to you know factory team in australia and then he you know, winning titles and racing World Supercross and he's been to America for Supercross and it's, you know, those kind of stories are what probably helps get people into the sport too and, you know, your story is pretty unique too, mate. So the, the more we can share those kind of things, the better, you know, people can relate to it and, you know, appreciate the hard work and the the grind that goes into making an athlete in this sport. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, going back to another way to the, that the sport can improve is... Yeah, you see how big Formula One's got now off the Netflix series. Mm. Uh, yeah, for me, that would be so cool if there was a, a a Netflix series of the GPs, you know, or or Supercross, or because if you're in motocross, you know everything that goes on and the different personalities, and yeah, that would be unbelievable to watch. Like yeah. it would smash what happens in the Formula One one out of out the park with the stuff that goes on and. It, in motocross it would give people a good behind the scenes look as well as completely that would change the sport in my opinion it would um yeah elevate the sport in the biggest way 
uh, possible. Uh, yeah, almost definitely. immediately. If, if there was a chance to have something like that, it would be an instant. Um, and then that filters through, you know, that filters through to bike sales, to sponsors, to riders, to goes goes down the whole order. And uh, yeah, it's just, I think to get that contract would be difficult, but. Uh, yeah, it's getting that exposure and the, and the eyes on it because obviously, um, you know, James and, and the boys over the last couple of years have done those um, sort of Monster Energy little mini series and they've been great. And um, just, the, I don't know if you've seen them, but the MXGP have done this, like this behind the gate. There's been two episodes of it and it's kind of like in that mould of the, you know, that you can tell they're going for that sort of doco style um, like the MotoGP did one through Amazon last year, I, I believe, through Prime. And, yeah, the, the, the F1 one's the big one. They've done a couple of them, but, like, it's behind a paywall at this stage. So um, I don't think it's really accessible. But, yeah, like you said, if you get it on those big TV contracts and big, yeah, big need- networks, that's what you need, isn't it? Yeah, you need it somewhere where there's, like, behind the gate, only motocross fans are, are watching that, really. Yeah. Um, so you need somewhere where it's, going to get loads of people's attention and and yeah i know loads of people that weren't f1 fans before and now they're interested in it because of the because of the netflix series you know like i i don't know whether there is something in the pipeline maybe because i listened to the interview i don't know whether you listened to it with uh rocks and cincerello's manager on yeah, uh, yeah. gypsy tales gypsy tales yeah uh, and they meant they briefly mentioned it there so don't know whether he's they're working on it or for it to be in in Supercross, but if they could get something like that, it would be massive, massive for the sport because, yeah, that could be could be a game changer. Yeah, what do you think on the World Supercross? Um, the expansion into that, and obviously the, the new platform for for riders teams and to sort of spread the spread the the moto message worldwide. Only a good thing for the sport in your eyes. Yeah, I only have good things to say about. The world supercross i don't understand why there wouldn't be anything why there would be bad things about it can only be in my opinion only be good there's more rides like a world supercross i think is is good to go around the world and show the sport more in stadiums all around the world not just in america um and i think yeah i listened to the podcast when they were first starting that up as well i think they want to make it more than just um, just a supercross performance. So have like uh, rappers like they had AJ Tracy in, in Cardiff, but keep elevating it and get higher higher stars there also. And and I mean, yeah, if you talk about that, AJ Tracy or someone like that can can sell out a stadium just by themselves. Never mind mm-hmm. the racing. So it's a good way to get more fans in. And uh, yeah, I only have positive things to say about the World Supercross. I think it's I think it's good for the sport, um, good for sponsors. Um and yeah, like with the arena cross in the UK as well. I think that's only good for only good for the sport and um yeah, just want to see the sport do good and keep improving and and uh, yeah, it's a sport I love and the sport I still do as a job. So even after I finish, I still want it to do good and uh, yeah, it would be nice to see more opportunities. Yeah, it's been pretty cool to hear about the the organisers of that and the riders saying that, you know, there was a lot of things wrong from that first round and then they went to Melbourne and, and fixed it. So to have people that are happy to admit that they're wrong and that's probably half the battle with a lot of people. They don't want to sort of sacrifice their pride to to make themselves look bad or whatever. But those guys, from what the riders said, they were just happy to make the changes and, 
you know, they, they openly say we're learning and, you know, we want to make this the best product possible because it's, it's got super good potential. And obviously for me living in Australia, it's, it's on a free to air broadcast deal as well, which is obviously there's something they're continually working on getting those broadcast deals across the world. So yeah, I definitely echo your, your thoughts on it, mate, but it's, it's not an easy process because there's obviously a, a, an old guard, so to speak, um, in the sport to, to break through that, that don't like change and don't like the, the threat of new things. So it'll be an interesting one to follow. Will you be going to the first one if you can in the UK for the new season? Uh, maybe if I'm, if I'm free. Yeah. Yep. Um, obviously it's not so easy at the moment to keep traveling backwards and forwards. But <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm free, um, I would definitely like to, to go there, you know, but like yep. you just said, well, what, come through my mind when you said that is I don't know anyone from the World Supercross or, or had any dealings with them but if they are willing to listen and take on advice and keep improving then that's that's what I feel like the British or the MXGP could do also you know like listen a little bit more to the teams or the riders or or to the fans um, I think that gives you the direction that you need to go in not just do what you think you know like for me it's really quite simple like the whole discussion with the qualifying race thing, like to me, it's easy. Just put, just ask the whole fans what they want to say. As simple as that. Not what they think will be best. Just put it out there and see what response they get. And okay, if if it's fifty fifty, then go with whatever you want. You know, but um, yeah, for me that's quite a simple way to do it. But again, I'm not uh. I'm not running the MXGP, so yeah, it is what it is. And they, even you know, riders and teams' opinions. Uh, I, I obviously you hear stories that across things around the world that you know maybe they're not consulted enough because they're the ones that have been put through these processes and enduring you know what they're given. So yeah, that'd probably help as well, wouldn't it, mate? Like you know, with the whole the whole fra- thing thing in France last year with the start straight, you know, mm. like we already. We already. <clears throat> I don't know if you know the story from that or not. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, with the yeah, the riders sort of a lot of them, well, all the heavy hitters mainly refusing to to, to do yeah, it. Yeah, they just yeah. wanted to end up the start straight graded, but yeah, they didn't want to grade it. But yeah. yeah, that's in that situation. Yeah, we are the ones risking our life and putting on the the, the show, you know, and that's it's it's not us make it want in a massive change or something like that. But I've always said like, especially with the tracks and with the safety, there should be um, some sort of, I know maybe they tried to do it in the past where they had a spokesperson where, or a meeting or yep. where you can go and voice your opinion. But I feel like there could be something, something done where they just listen a little bit more. Like if there's something sketchy on the track and a rider comes and says it's sketchy, it's because it's dangerous and sketchy and something should be taken into consideration to change that or make a change or, or like sometimes you go to a race and you think like, why, why is that there? Because that's just going to create no pattern whatsoever there, you know? And if there's someone you could relate to or, or to, to, to voice your opinion on that, then I think it would keep improving and make it safer, less injuries, better racing. But, the problem is no one says anything like that. They all just we all just speak amongst ourselves because if you say something, nothing happens anyway. So, um, yeah, it's not a good That's situation because you you guys are putting your your lives on the line. It's uh, you know it's the, the risk of 
serious injuries always there. So I would, you know, from my opinion, the, it's the utmost importance to ha- have you guys, you know, speak your mind and have at least multiple representatives that are riders speaking their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Or just even have like, I don't know, Friday afternoon or Friday evening at the GP or at the British or whatever the series may be. Um, half an hour slot. So it's not like somebody waiting there for ages for no one to turn up where like um, the riders can come in and say something that they want to improve or say that something's dangerous or something needs adjusting. Like, cause sometimes you go to a GP track and they put these mounds on the side of the track, you know, and you, sometimes it can be in a dangerous place, but as a rider, you know that. Um, and it, it would be nice sometimes to, but just for them also, it would improve racing in some aspects because we, we, we can see already that some pl- place will be one line or we'll, this will only be way faster than going outside there. So they can also make a few changes to make the racing better. Um, so yeah, that's my, that. That would be my take on that. Yeah, obviously, like we're not we're not um, being like overly negative. It's just sort of a constructive criticism because obviously they do a lot of things well. And um, with your experience in the MXGP, Paddy, can you want to sort of speak to what you think they do really well? They actually shine at. No, of course, of, of course, this is not to like keep slagging the MXGP or anything like that because. Without them, we wouldn't have a platform to race on. So they obviously do a lot of good things. And uh, there is a lot of positives in what they do. And they provide all of us to be able to make a living. So um, I think the the way they go around the world, I think that's that's a positive. I don't, I don't disagree with going to Indonesia and stuff like that. I think it should be a world championship. Um, and obviously this year they've made a step with reducing the entry fees and um obviously a change with the qualifying race albeit i don't agree with it but it's still a change um i just think over the last few years that's why i missed a little bit a bit of change you know like in formula one every year they try to change the car or new rule or do something else to make the racing more exciting as in like motocross i feel like it just didn't change for years like since i was growing up it's just been the same yeah and there's been no like development to try and make it better so it's nice to see that they've actually made a change, um, and yeah, I think, I think the, the 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 way they do it, going around the world, and obviously it's a very difficult, difficult series series to run and organize and everything like that. So, just in general, I think they do a good job. It's just everyone wants to see it better, and everyone wants the sport better. So that's why people have their opinions, and everyone has their opinion because they want the sport to get better. So. Mm. Um, Definitely yeah. coming from a good uh, place. The the innovations that people want to see, they're coming from a good place. They're not coming because they hate it. They're coming because they want to improve things. And, you yeah, know, I think they're helping our teams with freight and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's only good for the smaller teams that it's a massive uphill battle as it is, especially in today's um, economic climate. So, I mean, that's what needs to happen though in the sport. It needs needs the smaller teams that can commit to the World Championship to come back into the sport because we've lost... The factory teams are kind of okay. You, you, they have the money, the budget, um, the sponsors. It's the it's the gap between the the full factory teams and the smaller teams that needs to be brought back into the sport um, to then create more riders and more and more bikes for the riders to ride that can be competitive against the factory bikes. 
Yeah, and obviously guys like yourself and and you know Monticelli, who's sort of now left the paddock full time, and even getting you know Conrad's going to be racing Switzerland and Gilbert, and you know obviously probably Tommy Searle's not going to race MXGP anymore. But those the guys like yourself, those four, five to ten guys that can step in, it just elevates the quality, it elevates the spectacle. And you're sort of looking at depth charts and people that are probably considering going to the races, they'll see that and be like, yeah, they're not missing this one. Or people will travel because it's, it's nothing traveling in Europe, you know, compared to a place like Australia where you can travel 18 hours and still be in the same state, you know. So it's, yeah, it definitely, <laughs> it definitely improves it, mate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, everything you just said, I just, I just agree on. Um, it's about bringing it all back together with all the points that we've mentioned and just trying to improve the sport. So, and they do do a lot of positives, and uh, yeah, that's why I want to get back to racing there. That's why I have an opinion on making it better, um, and that's why uh, this year I'm gonna race six GPs, and that's because I want to, not because I get anything from it, um, like financially or something like that. It's just because I want to be back there and. And racing the best class in the world. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's good to see you're still so motivated and, and driven to succeed, mate. I was just a couple more for you before I let you go. Um, What are your sort of hobbies yeah, no. to, to keep your mind off, you know, the, the, the daily grind and just, the, you know, the brutal nature of the sport where you got to be all in? What do you sort of do to keep fresh and not get too dragged down by it all sometimes? Yeah, there's not much to do in Belgium, I'll be honest. <laughs> Now, um, we have, there's obviously quite a lot of uh, riders living in this area, like Ben lives here. Conrad used to live quite close. Um, old mechanics that I've worked with, they all live close to here, you know, so we are, hang out with them. Um, just training, really, training and chilling. Um, I like gaming. Yep. I like carp fishing. Um, bit of everything, to be honest, just just relaxing when not training and uh yeah now the season starts you don't really have much time for anything else than than, than riding training and traveling so um just looking forward to keep going to the races and and keep the momentum going yeah it'll be good to see a couple more brits um out there obviously with mx vice being being uh, yeah, british based um you expect ben's obviously uh, james was saying he's uh expecting some an uptick in improvement in form and all that in the future, just with some stuff coming for the bike and you're, you're confident he'll, you'll get back to where he, where he belongs. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good mates with Ben. So we speak all the time. Um, I'm yeah, I, at the moment he's, he's enjoying himself. I think he's a lot better. He's a lot better there with yeah. the team than he was last year. And uh, yeah, I think when he gets out the start, he, he can fight at the front as well. Um, he always has the speed. So, I think he's happy there. I think he's happy with the bike. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure that this year he will keep improving and uh, be back at the front. Yeah, all reports are, and what we've heard is, yeah, he's just happy and he loves the team and they're, you know, a good environment for him to, to, to get back to his, you know, perform to his best. So we hope we hope he does, mate. And um, just uh, would you, last one, mate, would you, you got anyone in particular you'd like to thank? I'll sort of give you the opportunity to do this if you, if you want, mate. So it's probably... Probably more people than you could probably fit in, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, de definitely. Of course, there's always people to thank. Um, yeah, my family. Um, of course, first they help. I've been there from the start and helped with everything. So, 
the team this year. Um, like I said before, really happy with everything they're doing and it's a really great bunch of people to to work with and and uh and work for. Um the people that I've worked with all over the years, it's obviously um more to mention than otherwise we would be here all day. Um and yeah, my trainer here, uh Stefan and uh yeah, just everyone that I have around me. Um at the moment it's going really well and and uh don't want it to sound like a retirement speech or something, so I'm not gonna go on <laughs> for it too long. But, but everyone that works for me, I'm grateful for it and at the moment we're uh we're improving and at the moment I'm in a really good place. So excited to keep the momentum going. Yeah, mate, it's great to hear things things are definitely looking upward and um definitely all the best for the rest of the season. And before I let you go, I'll just give a quick read out to the sponsors, obviously Monster Energy, Fox Racing. Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and even Strokes. Yeah, we um massively grateful for all their support to um to keep us all going. And thanks again for your time, Adam, mate. And um, all the best for the future. We'll definitely get you on again soon. Yeah, no problem, mate. My pl- my pleasure. And uh, always enjoy talking to you guys and give my opinion on anything. So anytime you need me back on, I'm available and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. No worries, mate. Appreciate that and uh, have a good one.